0: Carson.
1: And I'm Peter Coin. And this is
0: We Had No Idea.
1: Episode 44. Whoa, like a little
0: spin on it there. Yeah. <laughs> Who, is razzle, razzle. Who is he? Razzle, hazel. Who is <laughs> he? We come to you from Akinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsuna Nations, the Yahe nakota Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca.
1: We both have sources for today's show. The ones that I used are history.com, biography.com. Royal.uk, and I cannot recommend checking out this site enough. Jewish Women's Archive. The Ooh. way we, we will get into it uh, not too long from now. Uh, the way they write there is amazing.
0: Fantastic. I love it. Uh, my sources for the show youtube.com, TED Talks account, masoon.com, ted.com, arabcomedy.com, NobelPrize.org bbc.co.uk, britannica.com, canadianencyclopedia.ca. Jesus. I know I you know I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then usnews.com. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I have a lot of questions yeah. and I need answers. So <laughs> use a lot of sources, boy. Fair enough. Uh so we will be doing a part 2 today of female leaders but you know what are of women leaders sorry uh but that was such a weird name we're just gonna go ahead and call this important women
1: yeah that seems to work
0: yeah i like that way better yeah uh so thank you for downloading thank you for coming with us and if you are listening to this on the day that it comes out march 9th it is the day after international women's day and that's because we should celebrate women every day. There you go. Not just because we got tired last night.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent way of saying <laughs> that. Yeah.
0: Look, March 8th is also my day. Yeah. And I wanted to take it easy. Yeah. So I did the day before. The day before, yeah. <laughs> So thank you for downloading. Thank you for coming with us on this ride, and we hope that you uh, learn a little something with every episode. Um, if you want to send us an email, you can. We had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. We almost have a hundred followers. Oh, crazy! It oh. has been pinging around right under a hundred.
1: Also, yeah. um, we are at five thousand downloads now.
0: Oh. Brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) Under a year, five thousand downloads. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Pretty stoked about it. Yeah. Stoked and also mortified. (laughs) I can't believe. It you know, it's it's not it's not unique downloaders. It's Mm -hmm. it's five thousand. There's some repeat offenders in there. Yeah. Uh but that the thought of my words having been played five thousand times. (laughs) Someone finding out how stupid I am again and again and again—it feels real good.
1: Yeah, no, it's it pretty feels great. great. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> it.
0: I love it. So thank you. I really can't. Uh, I—I'm joking, but I—I I, we really appreciate uh, all the downloads and hitting this kind of landmark. You know, I think that we had hoped um, that we would, you know, be able to say that one day. You know, we—we we got X amount of thousands of downloads, uh, but here we are. And yeah. it feels great. Yeah. So thank you for all your hard work over the past almost year, Peter.
1: Uh, yeah, no, same to you.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. <laughs> Thanking me on Women's Day. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, would you like to start us off, please, today, Peter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, I'm going to start with Golda Meir.
0: You're starting from the bottom of your list again? I am. Wow, you're such a rebel.
1: Right. Uh, that's why I had to do the long, drawn out. I'm starting with. Oh, because you're scrolling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I said um, about like the amazing writing of the Jewish Women's Archive, yeah, this is where that comes into play.
0: Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so it begins.
1: In the pantheon of illustrious national leaders, there exists an even more elite subgroup. Female heads of state, among whom stands one Jewish woman, Golda Meir, the prime minister of Israel from 1969 to 74. Uh, 74 sorry, pioneer, visionary, risk taker, indefatigable fundraiser or whatever. Eloquent advocate. She was an activist of the First <laughs> Order, one of the founders of the Jewish state, a woman whose life story is essential to the mythos of modern Zionism and that of Theodore Herzl, Chaim Wiseman, and David Ben-Gurion. Whoa. Right? Wow. Meyer was born May 3rd, 1898, in Kiev, Ukraine.
0: Hmm. Tying
1: into last week. Her father... Moshe Mavivik, a skilled carpenter, and her mother Bloom Natik, named her for her maternal great grandmother, a domineering matriarch who lived in the 1940 and or sorry lived to be 94. My wow. apologies, uh, and who also took salt instead of sugar in her tea to remember the bitterness of Jewish. Diaspora.
0: Diaspora.
1: Diaspora. Thank you.
0: I would like to be referred to as a domineering matriarch from now on. <laughs> that, that is
1: earned by putting salt in your tea instead of sugar.
0: I'm going to put it in my Instagram bio right now.
1: <laughs> Meyer identified most, she said, with her tenacious, intrinsic relatives. <laughs> Put an extra N in there, but that's fine. Especially <laughs> her paternal grandfather, who was kidnapped at age thirteen into the Tsar's army, but resisted conversion to Christianity and refused to eat non kosher food. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. All I've got to say. <laughs> I want to become a Jewish woman so that the Jewish Women's Archive can write about me. Yeah,
0: it's it's illustrious so far.
1: Yes, yeah. We'll bounce around between their writing and, you know, mine. Uh, you'll probably yeah. be able to tell which is which.
0: No, I don't In think so. In
1: 1903, um, her father... Moved to the United States. Two years later, she was eight. She moved along with him. At the age of 14, Meyer graduated from 4th Street Elementary School as class valedictorian, but had to fight with her parents for the right to go to high school. She wanted to be a teacher. They wanted her to find a husband. That sounded like I was reading like a rom-com thing. She wants to be a teacher. Her (laughs) parents want her to be a husband.
0: What zany antics shall ensue. This summer.
1: (laughs) Quote, it doesn't pay to be clever, warned her father. Quote, men don't like smart girls. Defying him, she enrolled in Milwaukee's North Division High School and took after-school jobs to pay her expenses. Still, arguments raged. Fed up, Meyer ran away to live with her sister and brother-in-law in Denver, where she attended school and spent her evenings listening to Shana's radical friends anarchists, uh, socialist Zionists, and labor Zionists whose debates helped refine Golda's political philosophy. Wow. A letter of apology from her parents allowed her to return home after a year. And in 1916, she graduated from high school and registered for a three-year program at the Milwaukee Normal School, a teacher's training college. Which, by the way, I would never go to a place called, oh yeah, Totally Normal School. Yeah. That just, that seems like a red flag to me. It's like... You putting that in the name makes me feel like, hmm,
0: hmm. We're super normal here. We're super chill. You'll right, be fine. Exactly. Just come yeah. here, you know, bring bring some staples, bring um, a salt lamp, and, you know, we're just totally normal. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. In
1: 1917, in November, Britain <laughs> issued the Balfour Declaration, supporting the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. A month later, on Christmas Eve, Golda Mabovich married Morris Meyerson on the condition that they would immigrate to Palestine. Um, The last names, not really jiving. Uh, She would change it in 1956, but Mm. just so you know. Um, When they arrived in 1921, the admission committee rejected them, saying that the kibbutz, which is a uh, kind of a commune, was not ready for married couples. Stunned, they applied again. Uh, I believe the thing just said, what the fuck? and granted a probationary residency during which Golda picked almonds and planted saplings while Morris worked the fields and the cubits, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong because I have everything else so far, members uh, became enamored of morris's phonography or sorry phonograph and classical records Mm. this time they were accepted not because she was picking almonds all day but because homie had some nice records yeah in 1924 the couple moved to jerusalem and soon had a son and a daughter golda intensified her political activity by representing the hist Histadrut trade union and serving as a delegate to the world zionist organization
0: you know why i know it's women's day right now huh because i haven't helped you with a single one of these yeah and i'm not gonna no it's fine
1: <laughs> before world war ii much of the middle east was under the control of france and great britain as prescribed by the sykes picot Agreement of 1916, uh, officially termed the 1916 Asia Minor Agreement. British officials made promises to establish a Jewish homeland, but this never actually happened, and the matter was left for the next generation. Let them do it. The British White Paper of 1939 only called for a Jewish homeland, not a Jewish state, and it allowed Arab officials to determine the rate of Jewish immigration. During the war, Golda Meir emerged as a powerful spokesperson for the Zionist movement and fought hard against the policy, pleading that increased Jewish immigration was crucial in light of the persecution by the German Nazi regime. The British intensified their enforcement of the white paper policy by arresting many Jewish activists and illegal immigrants. When Moshe Shertok Sheret was arrested. Goldemir replaced him as chief liaison with the British. She worked for him and many Jewish war refugees who had violated the British immigration policy or sorry, she worked to free him and many um, Jewish war refugee refugees who had violated the British immigration policy. Meyer later organized fundraising events in the United States for an israeli independent state much of her extended family died in the holocaust In 1948, Israel declared its independence, and Meyer was one of the signers of Israel's declaration. That same year, she was appointed minister to Moscow. But when hostilities broke out between Arab countries and Israel, she returned and was elected to the Israeli parliament. Israel Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion sent Meyer on a secret mission, disguised as an Arab, to plead with King Abdul I not to enter in a war against Israel. He... Declined mm. and conflict expanded to include the nations of Egypt, Transjordan, Iraq, and Syria against Israel. Hostilities ended with an arm- uh, armistice that preserved Israeli independence and increased its size by 50%. Meyer served as Minister of Labor and worked to solve Israel's housing and employment problems by implementing major residential and infrastructure construction projects. In 1956, she was appointed Foreign Minister and helped establish relations with emerging African countries and strengthen ties with the United States and Latin America. At the age of 68, Meyer wanted to retire from public life. She was tired and ill, but members of the Mapai political party encouraged her to serve as the party's secretary, uh, secretary general. Over the next two years, she helped merge the party and two descendant, um, sorry, dissident political parties into the Israel Labour Party. Following the death of Prime Minister Levi Eshkol in 1969, she put off retirement again and agreed to serve out the remainder of his term. That same year, her party won the elections, giving her a four-year term as prime minister. She is elected as Israel's first female prime minister. She was the country's fourth prime minister and still the only woman to have held the post. Wow. During, the, uh, during her tenure, Meyer gained a reputation as a savvy diplomat. During her tenure, um, she gained economic and military aid from U.S. President Richard Nixon, hmm. which helped her open peace talks with the United Arab Republic in hopes of ending hostilities. During the relative period of peace between 1967 and 1973, Arab-Israeli... Um, Sorry, between the 1967 and 1973 Arab-Israeli wars, Meyer straddled the line between radicals who wanted to settle the captured territory of the 1967 war, which she supported, and proposals by moderates who favored giving up land claims in exchange for peace. The debate ended with the outbreak of the Arab-Israeli War on October 6, 1973, which is also known as the Yom Kippur War. Syrian forces had been massing along the Golan Heights, concerned that a preemptive strike would bring condemnation by international supporters, especially the United States, Meyer prepared for a defensive war. Syrian forces attacked from the north and Egypt attacked from the west. After three weeks, Israel was victorious and had gained more Arab land. Meyer formed a new coalition government, but resigned on April 10, 1974, exhausted and willing to let others lead." She uh, passed away in Jerusalem on December eighth, nineteen seventy eight, at the age of eighty. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. She did a lot.
1: She certainly did, Kim. Huh. Yeah.
0: What made you pick her?
1: Um. Honestly, uh, yeah. my mom brought her up. Oh. Yeah. What, she do, was what
0: the did one... the... what did Lori have to say?
1: Uh, I don't remember to be oh, perfectly okay. honest with you. <laughs> you should
0: talk about.
1: Yeah. Basically, yeah. She said, if you guys are doing another women's episode, I think you should do. Um, and all three of mine are actually from that list that she gave us. Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah.
0: Um. Well, I had no idea.
1: Nah. I confidently
0: I mean. say it. Yeah. I had no idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I do have something awkward to tell you, though. Uh-oh. My first person... Yeah. ...is a Palestinian woman.
1: Oh, okay. So... <laughs>
0: Um, Mason Zayed uh, was born in New Jersey, actually, in 1974. She is a Palestinian uh, descendant. Uh, she was born with cerebral palsy. She is an actress, comedian, and activist. Hmm. Uh, she earned a BFA from Arizona State University, but quickly found that acting opportunities were limited for a person of color with a disability. Oh. She realized that she'd get a lot more stage time if she showed off how funny she was. This is like any... Uh, uh, any, any woman who has any physical shortcomings knows (laughs) if you can make people laugh, (laughs) uh, you are probably going to do just fine. As she told the BBC, it became very obvious to me that in the United States of America, a fluffy ethnic disabled chick was never going to get a job unless she did stand up, uh, along with Dean Obidala. She founded the New York Arab American comedy festival. Uh, they are going into their 19th year this year, 2022 she spends several months of the year in Palestine and Palestinian territories running workshops for disabled and orphaned kids in refugee camps, using art to help them deal with trauma. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I left a dot, dot, dot there just because we just covered Israel. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Yeah. So I just left that dot, dot, dot of trauma. Yeah. Anyways, that's another topic for another time, mm-hmm. right? In her TED Talk, which is hilarious by the way, it's only about fifteen minutes long. and That might be an edited version, but um, it is very funny and also touching. Uh, she has about twelve minutes of stray jokes, and then she speaks about having uh, about how having her disability—it's uh, the first thing that people notice about her—and how representation is so so important. So circling back to the Arab American Comedy Festival that. Uh, she co-founded in 2006 three years after its creation a first ever industry showcase at the festival was extremely successful in introducing writers directors actors uh, all to casting directors and agents in the heart of the u.s television and film industry in addition representatives from various casting and talent agencies and television networks still continue to attend this festival in search of fresh and new talent, including NBC, CBS, and Comedy Central. Uh, Their performers have been seen on uh, a ton of networks, uh, in major motion pictures, as well uh, in smaller shows on television and on Broadway. She is also involved with the Muslim Funny Fest, but that show uh, was much harder to find information on because I think their website is not working right Oh, no. Yeah. So they have a Facebook, but... (laughs) It didn't really tell me a lot, uh. But she's started a couple, uh, um, comedy festivals, uh. Whether that be the Arab American one or the Muslim Funny Fest, uh. She is still involved with the festivals, and there's no dates currently posted for the, uh, Arab American Comedy Festival. Uh, no dates posted for 2022, but it is expected to happen in the fall. Uh. So yeah, a woman who chose comedy as her form of representation. I just really like that.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, it, like, representation is so important, Mm -hmm. you know, like, again, as straight white, my, uh, straight white male here, I can't, you know, necessarily speak to how not having it would affect someone, Uh but, like, you, you just hear all the time about, like, someone saying, like, I just, I never saw someone who looks like me, um, in field X, whether it be, like, big brother or even RuPaul, uh, that we see, like, there's a lot of that, so it's, you you just the more you hear that, the more you kind of understand how important representation really is.
0: Totally. And it's just that idea, like we've said it a few times in the show, just of intersectionality. Like, here's this woman who is uh, Palestinian, like she she has brown skin and she has cerebral palsy. And, you know, she said the first thing that people notice about her is, you know, her her kind of shake and, and the way she speaks and. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, people judge me right away for that, but there's like so much more that you just never get past because you, you think I'm limited in some way because of, of how I move and how, you know, Yeah. it just, yeah, I was just like, wow, that's amazing for you. And then to do it all through comedy, you know, I love that.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a good one.
0: Yeah. Would you like to do your second one?
1: No. No, that's it. Oh. Show's over. Yep. Thanks Thank everyone. you. Thanks yep. for coming out. Episode Deuces. 44.
0: Peace. Yep.
1: And it's just going to be white noise for the next however <laughs> long the rest of the recording is.
0: Oh, Peter. It was always going to be white noise. Yeah, know. that's fair.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> My next one is Indira Gandhi, mm. born on November 19th, 1917 as a... Okay. Those are two different sentences. I should have... <laughs> There, there's commas where there should be periods. Uh, so she's still born on November 19th, 1917. Born out of time, yes. Um, period. New sentence. As a member of the Indian National Congress, her father, Jawaharlal Nehru, had been influenced by party leader Mahatma, uh, Mahatma Gandhi and dedicated himself to India's fight for independence. The struggle resulted in the apr- imprisonment of Jawaharlal and a lonely childhood for Indira, who attended a Swiss boarding school for a few years and later studied history at Somerv- uh, Somerville College in Oxford. Her mother had passed away in 1936 of tuberculosis. One tactic of Indians. Hold on, sorry. Okay.
0: Tuberculosis is something you don't hear every day.
1: No. No, you don't get a lot of it.
0: I don't get a lot of TB.
1: No. Hmm. No. That's two references that we've heard in a week, though because there was that uh criminal minds episode that we watched about it that is this is oh, not relating to anyone tuberculosis. else other than
0: us, but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah the guy the that was a firefighter no. saved the uh the un- unhoused people mm-hmm. but then got tuberculosis
1: Yeah, and blamed the unhoused
0: spoiler alert season 6 it's coming for you well
1: it's definitely not season 6
0: what season is it
1: One tactic (laughs) of India's nationalist movement was to reject foreign, particularly British, products. At a young age, Indira witnessed a bonfire of foreign goods. Later, the five-year-old chose to burn her own beloved doll because the toy had been made in England. When she was 12, Indira played an even bigger role in India's struggle for self-determination by leading children in the Vinar Sena, The name means Monkey Brigade. It was inspired by the monkey army that aided Lord Rama in the epic Ramayana. Totally. The group grew to include 60,000 young revolutionaries who addressed envelopes, made flags, conveyed messages, and put up notices about demonstrations. It was a risky undertaking, but Indira was happy to be participating in the independence movement. In March 1942, despite the disapproval from her family, Indira married Faraz Gandhi, a Parsi lawyer unrelated to Mahatma Gandhi, and the couple soon had two sons. And despite the fact that uh, Indira and Faraz were in love, theirs was a wedding that few people in India supported. Again, that is a copy and paste because I love the way that they put that. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, Kim, (laughs) let me tell you, Uh, Faraze, who, again, I apologize if I'm saying that name wrong, which I'm certain I am, a fellow participant in the struggle for independence was Parsi, while Indira was Hindu, and at the time, mixed marriages were unusual, Mm. Um, and in the 40s, everywhere, unusual meant bad. It was also out of norm not to have an arranged marriage. In fact, there was such a public outcry against the match that Mahatma Gandhi had to offer a public statement of support, which included the request, quote, I invite the writers of abusive letters to shed your wrath and bless the forthcoming marriage. Hmm. Yeah.
0: That's a nice way to put that too. Yeah. Um,
1: In 1947, Nehru became the newly independent nation's first Prime Minister, and Gandhi agreed to go to New Delhi to serve as his hostess welcoming diplomats and world leaders at home, and traveling with her father throughout India and abroad. She was elected to the prominent 21-member working committee of the Congress Party in 1955, and four years later was named its president. Upon Nehru's death in 1964, Lao Bahadur Shastri became the new Prime Minister, and Indira took on the role of Minister of Information and Broadcasting. But Shastri's leadership was short-lived. Just two years later, he abruptly died, and Indira was appointed by uh, by the Congress Party to be the Prime Minister. Hmm. Within a few years, Gandhi gained enormous popularity for introducing successful programs that transformed India into a country self-sufficient in food grains, an achievement known as the Green Revolution. In 1971, Indira faced a crisis when troops from West Pakistan went into Bengali, East Pakistan to crush its independence movement. She spoke out against the violence on March 31st, but harsh treatment continued and millions of refugees began to stream into neighboring India. Taking care of these refugees stretched India's resources. Tensions also mounted because India offered support to independence fighters. Making the situation even more complicated were geopolitical considerations. Because don't they always? Mm. United States President Richard Nixon wanted the country to stand by Pakistan and China while arming Pakistan. um, Sorry, wanted the US to stand by Pakistan and China was arming Pakistan while India had signed a treaty of peace, friendship, and cooperation with the Soviet Union. And as we have been over, the United States and Soviet Union, not exactly on the same terms, literally, mm-hmm. ever. The situation didn't improve when Indira visited the United States in November. Oval Office recordings from the time reveal that Nixon told Henry Kissinger the Prime Minister was, quote, an old witch. Hmm. War began when Pakistan's air force bombed Indian bases on December 3rd. India recognized the independence of Bangladesh, formerly East Pakistan, on December 6th. Three days later, Nixon directed a U.S. fleet to head for Indian waters, but then Pakistan surrendered on December 16th. The war's conclusion was a triumph for India and Indira and, of course, for Bangladesh. After the conflict had ended, Indira declared in an interview, I am not a person to be pressured by anybody or any nation. Hmm. Following the 1972 national elections, Gandhi was accused of misconduct by her political opponent and, in 1975, was convicted of electoral corruption by the High Court of Allahabad and prohibited from running in another election for six years. Whoa. This is where we turn. Instead of resigning, as expected, she responded by declaring a state of emergency on June 25th, whereby citizens' civil liberties were suspended, the press was acutely censored, and the majority of her opposition was detained without trial. Throughout what became referred to as the Reign of Terror, thousands of dissidents were imprisoned without due process. Oh
0: my god.
1: Right? Just all hard turn.
0: Yeah, hard left.
1: Anticipating that her former popularity would assure her re-election, Gandhi finally eased the emergency restrictions and called for the next general election in March of 1977. Riled by their limited liberties, however, the people overwhelmingly voted in favor of the Janata party um, and Maraji Desai assumed the role of prime minister. So to recap, when you take people's uh, liberties away yeah. Yeah. and um, have a reign of terror that lasts for a long time, for
0: your own selfish reasons,
1: for your own Let's selfish put that reasons, on there. yeah, yeah, um, people don't like it. Yeah, people people tend to not be fans of that.
0: It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if I took away your candy bar and then you got mad at me, and then I was like, all right, well, here, I'll give it back, yeah. and then I'm upset that you don't thank me. For giving you a chocolate bar. Yeah. That's kind of what that is.
1: Yeah, I took your candy bar, but man, I made a funny joke about it. So I also you gave
0: go. it back. You're welcome. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Within the next few years, democracy was restored, but the Janata Party had little success in resolving the nation's severe poverty crisis. In 1980, Gandhi campaigned under a new party, Congress um, I or First or something, mm-hmm. and was elected into her fourth term as prime minister. In 1984 the Holy Golden Temple in Armistar Punjab was taken over by Sikh extremists seeking an autonomous state. In response, Gandhi sent Indian troops to regain the temple by force. In the barrage of gunfire that ensued, hundreds of Sikhs were killed, mm. igniting an uprising within the Sikh community. On October 31st, 1984, Indira Gandhi was assassinated outside of her home by two of her trusted bodyguards seeking retribution for the events at the temple. Mm. So a real roller coaster there.
0: Yeah. Indira Gandhi was on a ride. Yeah. I didn't know any of that.
1: Uh, Me neither. Yeah. All of that was a surprise to me.
0: Yeah. Very crazy. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite the twist. You just served me, Peter. Right. I'm going to go ahead and do my second one. Okay. Uh, Malala Yousafzai. All right. Uh, she was born in 97. Like 1997. Uh-huh. Like 1997. <coughs> right? Uh, wow. In Mingora, Pakistan. Ma lived and went to school in the Swat Valley. Her father was an advocate of education and instilled the same beliefs in Malala. In 2007, when she was 10 years old... Oof. You were graduating high school.
1: I was. Ooh, Yeah.
0: The situation in the Swat Valley rapidly changed for her family and community. The Taliban began to control the Swat Valley and quickly became the dominant socio-political force throughout much of northwestern Pakistan. Girls were banned from attending school and cultural, cultural activities like dancing and watching television were prohibited. Suicide attacks were widespread and the group made the barring of an education for girls a cornerstone, cornerstone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cornerstone.
0: A cornerstone of its terror campaign. By the end of 2008, the Taliban had destroyed uh, approximately 400 schools. Wow. Mm-hmm. Determined to go to school and with a firm belief in her right to an education, Malala stood up to the Taliban. How dare they take away? How dare the Taliban take away my basic right to education? She once said on Pakistani TV. In early 2009, Malala started to blog anonymously in the Urdu language site of the BBC. She wrote about life in the Swat Valley under Taliban rule and about her desire to go to school and questioning the tactics of the Taliban. Right? Um there was a couple sources that I read about this. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to go with the blog. Okay. On like on the Urdu side of BBC. Yeah. Um because some sources said it was an actual diary, mm. like a book. Yeah. Um. But I I feel like the the blog is like I, th- I think that that might be like either a translating thing or like a loss in translation thing. Oh, okay. I think it was digital. Okay. <laughs> um, which will make sense because it it kind of catches fire here, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think that just you know someone's book would. Anyways, it's not no. the point. In 2009, Malala became an internationally displaced person after having been forced to leave her home and seek safety hundreds of miles away. After several weeks though, she was able to return home and once again started to use media and continued her public campaign for her right to go to school. Her voice grew and over the course of the next three years, she and her father became known throughout Pakistan for their determination to give Pakistani girls access to free quality education. Her activism resulted in a nomination for the International Children's Peace Prize in 2011. That same year, she was awarded Pakistan's National Youth Peace Prize, but not everyone supported and welcomed her campaign to bring about change in SWAT. Malala was shot in the head on a school bus by a Taliban gunman. Jeez. Uh, some of her friends were also shot that day. Um, she was shot on the left side of her face and she survived. Wow. Wow. Uh, She had to flee to England and live in exile there because a uh, fatwa was issued against her. And I had to Google what a fatwa is. Um, It is a pronouncement given by someone called a mufti that is an Islamic legal scholar. A fatwa is a formal ruling on a point of Islamic law. So a pretty harsh thing to pass on a young woman. But so is shooting her in the face. Yeah. Also harsh. Also harsh. Um, the world was appalled at what happened to Malala and she quickly won the support of millions of people. At the age of 14, she became the youngest person ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And wow. when she received it, I know, 14. When she received it, she joked that she was probably the first winner who still fought with her younger brothers. <laughs> Uh, in 2013, time magazine named Malala as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And on her 16th birthday, she spoke in the United Nations in her speech. Malala called for equal right to education for girls all over the world and became a symbol of this cause. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Truly inspiring. Yeah. And another case, like, you know, I, I, when I was kind of reading through her, uh, her accomplishments i kind of thought about when we did our uh mlk junior podcast Mm -hmm. and just that idea of the movement is bigger than you yeah you know she's she is fighting for her right to go to school but it's like it's not just about her (laughs) no and that's what makes it so inspiring and probably why people can see themselves in it and why you know people want to join her yeah yeah
1: yeah, no, she is someone who, like, we've heard about in the news for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy she's that young still, but still, like, someone we, we have heard about, and uh, it's nice to know a, a little bit more backstory.
0: Totally, yeah. So, she'll be, what, 25 this year? Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Good yeah, for her.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, very. Can't, can't even begin to imagine what no. she's gone through. No. Um, so, from... uh. One end of that spectrum to a bit of a different upbringing. Okay, sure. We close the show today with Princess Diana.
0: Yeah, okay, slight differences for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, Diana was born on July 1st, 1961. Together with her two elder sisters, Sarah, Jane, and her brother Charles, Diana lived with her father at Park House. Sandringham until the death of her grandfather, the seventh Earl Spencer. I got this stuff from royal.uk. In <laughs> 1975, the family moved to the Spencer seat at Althorpe, a stately house dating from 1508. Stately. In Northamptonshire, in the English Midlands.
0: You know that that's got to get shortened to like two syllables, yeah? Namp. It's like. Nampshire. N- Nortonshire <laughs> It's probably what it would be.
1: Nortonshire sauce. <laughs> Her family went Her family rented Park House, an estate owned by Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Charles's <laughs> mother. During Diana's time as a child on the estate, she may have played with Charles's younger brothers, Prince Andrew and Prince El- uh, Edward. Charles was 13 years older than Diana. Uh, still would be. Although she (laughs) lost touch with him as a result of spending much of her youth attending prestigious boarding schools, Diana became reacquainted with Prince Charles after moving to London to live and work in 1978. In the capital, she initially worked as a nanny before taking a job as a kindergarten teacher at Young England School. The, and I'm quoting here, courtship. Of Charles and Diana lasted for several years, which means them, their kids, dated a bunch before they were married at St. Paul's Cathedral in London on July 29th, 1981. With the wedding, Diana was granted the title of Princess of Wales, as Charles's official royal title is the Prince of Wales. Hmm. Uh, the princess was the first Englishwoman to marry an heir to the throne for 300 years. That from Royal.UK. They felt it necessary to bring that up. Hmm. Uh, the, this again from the Royal website, the Prince and Princess of Wales spent part of their honeymoon at the Mountbatten family home at Broadlands, Hampshire, before flying to Gibraltar to join the Royal yacht HMY Britannia for a 12 day cruise through the Mediterranean to Egypt. They finished their honeymoon with a stay in Balmoral. Which I will admit, when I was first reading it, I read Baltimore, and I thought that was hilarious. Like, <laughs> so yeah, we just um, th- there's going to be a show coming out in a few years called The Wire. We just really into it.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know what? I think that a lovely, a lovely piece of the Mediterranean is Baltimore. Yes.
1: Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see Baltimore with the, the the harbors and whatnot. You know. Yeah, Lot, totally. Lots of yachts passing through there. The um,
0: Orioles.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And all that jazz. Right, yeah. Yeah, old
1: Frank Sabatka deals with a lot of yachts coming (laughs) through the harbor. Two pop culture references from the 2000s. Um, (laughs) Prince Charles and Princess... Knock,
0: knock, knock, 2004, is that you? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Prince Charles and Princess Diana had two sons, Prince William in 1982 and Prince Henry, or Harry, in 1984. The marriage, however, was an unhappy one marked by extramarital affairs. That part left out of Royal.UK, surprisingly. Oh. In 1992, they announced their separation, and they divorced officially in 1996. The Queen, the Prince, and the Princess of Wales agreed that the Princess was to be known after the divorce as Diana. Mm. So, all the titles stripped away.
0: Put those whales back in the ocean. (laughs)
1: Oh, if we had merchandise.
0: It's so funny because I know it's not of whales. I just couldn't help myself. It's yeah. not the sea creature. Yeah, no, that's it's the fair. place. <laughs>
1: She was admired because she used her fame to raise public awareness and charitable funds for issues that mattered to her. As a former teacher, she was a lifelong advocate for children and supported efforts to abolish the use of landmines, which I will admit seems like an under-discussed issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't hear a lot of uh, advocates against landmines, but seems like an important cause. She also advocated for AIDS-related causes. She was the guest of honor at the opening of the United Kingdom's first dedicated HIV-AIDS unit Mm. in 1987, and she is credited with helping to change the public's perception of those who suffer with the disease. We kind of have a different view of it. Back then, it was like the plague, and everyone was really worried about it. Um, she famously shook the hands of a patient with AIDS mm-hmm. in front of the media without wearing gloves, dispelling the notion that the disease could be transmitted by way of touch. Like they were learning all about this thing kind of on the fly. And for her to do that was a major, major moment.
0: Totally, yeah. It's like, well, is it airborne or is it by touch or is it by saliva or is it by whatever? Right. They they did not know.
1: Yeah. After her divorce from Prince Charles was Dunzo, Diana's relationship with Egyptian filmmaker Dadi Al-Fayed, the son of a billionaire and former owner of London's iconic Harrods Department store and the city's soccer team, Fulham FC. Dadi is perhaps best known as the producer of the film Chariots of Fire. Hmm. The couple's relationship... Quickly became the subject of tabloid fodder, and they were routinely harassed by the paparazzi wherever they went.
0: Papa,
1: paparazzi. Papa On the evening. <laughs>
0: <Roach, I'm> your- <laughs>
1: On the evening of August 31st, 1997, <laughs> Diana and al were dining privately in the Imperial Suite at Paris's famous Ritz Hotel. They had planned to have a quiet romantic meal at the hotel's restaurant. al had reportedly purchased a ring for Diana earlier in the day, but they had to leave after 10 minutes because they were being disturbed by the press and other patrons. A reminder, paparazzi are the worst. At 11:30 that night, as they left the hotel to return to Al-Fayed's Paris apartment, they were hounded by paparazzi, despite the fact that significant. I'm about. To talk about someone dying in a car crash? Okay,
0: okay, sorry. sorry limit the so, so
1: sorry. Uh, Despite the fact that significant security precautions had been taken, including the use of a decoy vehicle, which left from the front of the hotel. Diana and Al-Fayed left the hotel using the rear entrance with French driver Henri Paul and one of the <laughs> princess's bodyguards, Trevor. Driving a Mercedes <laughs> S280 limousine. Sorry, Trevor Reese Jones. Uh, driving a Mercedes S280 limousine, Paul took Reese jones Diana, and Al-Fayed on a high-speed trip through the boulevards and narrow streets of central Paris. Investigators later estimated that the car may have been traveling in excess of 60 miles an hour. At 12.19am, the Mercedes carrying the couple, Paul and Reese jones crashed into a pillar on the Pont d'Alma Bridge, which traverses the river seeing cyan.
0: Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. I was looking up what 60 miles per hour was. Oh. It's 96 kilometers. Oh, okay. Per hour. Okay. The River Seine.
1: Okay. They were less than two miles from the Ritz Hotel. al and Paul died at the scene. Diana was taken to Paris's La Petite Salpette. Trier Hospital, but several hours later at 4am she died as a result of injuries she sustained in the crash including a severed pulmonary vein she was 36 years old mm. the death of princess diana was immediately followed by an unprecedented outpouring of grief from all over the world elton john made a song about it her funeral was held in london five days later an estimated 1 million people lined the funeral route from her London home in Kensington Palace to Westminster Abbey, where her funeral was held. Diana is buried in a small island surrounded by a lake at Althorpe, her family's ancestral estate in, again, Northamptonshire, England. Mm -hmm. Initially, the incident had been blamed on their French chauffeur, Henri Paul. uh, Chauffeur. Henri, not Trevor, who (laughs) may have been exceeding the speed limit to avoid tabloid photographers. A subsequent inquest of the crash performed by British police and released in 2006 ruled Diana's uh, death a, quote, tragic accident. Glad we looked into that
0: glad we looked into that tragic accident yeah
1: the inquest found that paul had been drunk at the time of the accident and that his condition may have been worsened by prescription antidepressants he was taking at the time Hmm. in fact tests of paul's blood following the crash revealed that his alcohol levels were more than three times the legal limit in france for drunk driving investigators believe that this caused him to lose control of the mercedes it probably didn't help In addition to her accomplishments on behalf of those with HIV and AIDS while she was alive, she is fondly remembered as a patron of the United Kingdom's National AIDS Trust, an advocacy organization for people with the disease and their families. Many of the organization's initiatives are named in her honor. Diana is also credited by at least one biographer with effectively modernizing the royal family in their relations with Mm. the British public. Generally reserved, the royal family and in particular, the queen have arguably been more engaged with the public since Diana's passing, visiting with victims of terrorist attack in London as an example. Mm. Her sons, William and Harry, have also credited their late mother with shaping their own charitable efforts, which include HIV and AIDS and wildlife conservation in Africa, among other initiatives wow yeah
0: i honestly don't know a lot about princess diane nah.
1: that one like i that was one of the first like celebrity deaths that i really remember Huh. I. it was a big 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 deal they had the at least part of the funeral was played on tv like the yeah. Elton john portion
0: wow yeah yeah i did not know that yeah uh, I did not know that. That's a great suggestion by your mom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she nailed it on these ones. Yeah, she did. lot of learning done.
0: lot of learning. Yeah. Thank you, Peter's mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to just end off with, uh, I kind of was like, why is there an International Women's Day? Would yeah. you like to know? I would love to know. Okay, cool. So this Feel Good Day started off as more than a day to celebrate the women in your life. Uh, it was born out of social socialism, protest, and a fight for labor rights, mm. as all good things are. As <laughs> uh, so the United Nations officially recognized International Women's Day in 1975, the origins actually trace back to 1908 during the New York City Garment Workers Strike. Oh. With a more than one year long protest, which was marked by thousands of female women garment workers marching through the city to demand the right to vote and protest their working conditions, it sparked a day of remembrance the following year led by the Socialist Party of America.
1: It's a long year without garments.
0: That is a long year without garments. You are so right. What a weird word, too.
1: Garments? Yeah.
0: There's There's an N in there.
1: Is there? I thought it was garments.
0: Yeah, garment.
1: Garment. Oh yeah 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 yeah. You
0: just don't say it's gar- garment garment. You yeah. barely say it. Right. It's weird.
1: It's a weird word in general.
0: So what started as a day turned into a global movement for universal suffrage at the International Conference of Working Women in nineteen ten when German activist Clara Zetkin pushed for an international version of the US holiday. The first international women's holiday or women's day was held the next year in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland. Nice. um, so then I believe that it is Russia that is next in 1917. Um, as Woman's Day is taking root across Europe, uh, they are next. and uh, nothing is really seen in Canada until after the famous five, uh, which also are the Albertan five if uh if anybody knows them, Nellie McClung is among their names. Um, They took a petition to the Supreme Court of Canada in 1927, and in 1929, uh, it was brought in front of the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. Okay. The the Privy Council, I like that. Yeah. uh, Which was Canada's highest appeals court at the time, Uh, and I don't know if you've... uh, seen the statue that's in Calgary or know anything about the famous five. Um, but they basically wrote a document that said women are persons. And then after they brought it to some Supreme courts, they were like, yeah, all right, I guess you are,
1: <laughs> I suppose,
0: I suppose. Um,
1: that is the statue by Olympic Plaza here. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. So uh, they the judge's name that was in their group is Emily Murphy. Uh, Henrietta Edwards was in the group, Nellie McClung, Louise McKinney, and Irene Parlby. You know, this story isn't without its negative connotations. Uh, there is some possible ties to eugenics movements, uh, with some of these ladies. Oh. Um, they have been criticized as a group for being racist and elitist. They were white women in the 1920s. I am certain that they were, um, but they also got past something that said women are persons. Hmm. So, um, at least coaster. at least they did uh, a little bit of good. Yeah, while they were here. Um, but yeah, the the New York garment workers strike is is kind of what started uh, International Women's Day. Huh. Yeah, protesting works.
1: Yeah. <laughs> From garments to Golda the story of international women's day wow
0: yeah well thank you for listening
1: (laughs) yes thank you thank you longer ones
0: yeah it was thank you also for um for editing this podcast because i i couldn't do it on international women's day no
1: or the day after
0: or the day well you're gonna edit it today
1: am i we'll talk
0: i'm gonna go watch tiktoks okay that's fair to celebrate myself yes and women kind
1: celebrate myself (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> what else am i supposed to do yeah no no
1: no no, no. it's fair it's just uh, you, uh, it's not a sentence i hear a lot
0: anyways uh yes yeah, so happy international women's day which we should celebrate really every day but yes march 8th will do i suppose yeah. and uh you know go tell the women in your life all women uh trans women queer women uh neurodivergent women eh, all women all women are women uh, go and celebrate them all today and every day is the message that we'll leave you with. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to send us an email, you can. We had no idea podcast at gmail. com. You can also find us on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. Again, we're almost at a hundred followers so like if you don't follow us yet,
1: get you on should. It. yeah get
0: us to that trip Didge.
1: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for downloading and we will talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.